And so we'll kind of go through some of these slides quickly. But let's take a look first off uh, this morning, if I can get that pulled up on the screen for me, gentlemen. Um, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3, and let's, as they're getting that worked out, let's look in Philippians 3, verse 1. Follow along. If you need a Bible, should be one there in the pew in front of you. Thank you, gentlemen. And the message again entitled, Religion or Righteousness? Religion or Righteousness? Follow along, if you would, in the reading of God's Word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, as we delve back in this week uh, from where we left off last week, I pray that the Holy Spirit would rekindle our thoughts draw us near to You and worship. Help us to understand the importance of this text. And Lord, how we might appropriate our identity in Christ as we reflect and meditate on Your truth. So Lord, open our heart of understanding. Illuminate our minds to see the truth of Your Word. And then Lord, let it have its transforming power to change our lives. So we go out of here, we, we go out different than how we come in. And Lord, I pray if there be any burden upon a heart here today, Lord, they'll commune with you. Leave that baggage at the altar. Lord, that there be anyone here today who doesn't know Christ, that today might be their day of salvation. And so Lord, search our hearts, search our minds. If there be anything unconfessed within us, search us, try us and consume all of our darkness. Lord, that we might be right in your sight in both relationship and fellowship. For your namesake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You recall in our outline here in this section of Scripture, uh, we were looking at the contrast last week, and we'll kind of go back through that. We also, uh, today we'll be looking at the confidence that Paul is uh, speaking of here in this specific text. And then we'll look at the conclusion um, here as well and what Paul meant uh, in concluding these things. His uh, reasoning, deductive reasoning as he comes to a close in that section. 
We talked last week again about the contrast and the three things that we started off Paul saying here was to beware of the dogs. This was the, again, in Jewish culture, they considered the Gentiles as dogs. And he said also beware of these evil workers. These were those religious. They weren't righteous. They wanted the people to think they were righteous. And so they would adorn themselves with the outward apparel. They were all about the Mosaic law. And they would tell people, hey, that's fine. You want to believe in Jesus, but... You need to be like us Jews, God's chosen people. And so you got to look like us, dress like us, act like us. There's certain things you got to do. And specifically, they emphasized circumcision. And again, this was one of those outward symbols that was to reflect what had happened on the inside of the heart of man. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Salvation's always been the same, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. For by grace have you been saved. Through faith. It's not of works. Keeping the law doesn't make you right with God. Going to church and being religious doesn't get you any closer to God. It doesn't earn you brownie points. It's not like there's some scale and if you just keep doing better, you're going to somehow balance it out or somehow gain favor with God. That's legalism. You see, the Pharisees thought that they were right with God because they seemed to do everything by the letter. They were focused on the letter of the law and missed completely the spirit of the law. Guys, our churches are no different today. There's many in, in Chris, under the umbrella of, of Christianity that have all the religious trappings. They look good outwardly. Their lips draw near, but their heart is far from God. And so we need to examine ourselves when we come to texts like this. And you need to ask yourself this morning, where are you? Are you religious or are you righteous? Your righteousness is not based upon anything you say or do. My, my, my righteousness is not based upon anything I say or do. It's based on what's done. It's finished. And unless Jesus Christ imputes to you His righteousness, you and I stand apart from righteousness, and all we have is religion. And so we need to examine ourselves this morning. Do we say, oh yes, yes Lord, yes Lord, and yet deny Him by our actions? The Scriptures should convict us as we read through them. Guys, none of us have arrived, and in our flesh is nothing good apart from Jesus Christ. I don't need you to tell me that uh, I'm worthless. <laughs> I know that. I, I don't need you to remind me how imperfect I am and, and all of my uh, shortcomings. Guess what? Newsflash, I know them too, but God knows them even better. There's a quote, I think it was Spurgeon who said, if any man thinks ill of you, he doesn't know you. It's much worse than he thinks. Guys, if you think you're bad, newsflash, you're not bad. It's a lot worse than bad. We're totally deprived apart from Christ. Our depravity is such that you and I are on the same scale as the worst of the worst. Because the same goal fix between God and man is the same, no matter who the man. And so, how dare I look down on you? How dare you look down on me? How dare we look down on each other? When apart from Christ, we are nothing! But I know what I need. I need the righteousness of Christ. I know what you need. You need the righteousness of Christ. And there's only one way that you and I get the righteousness of Christ, and it's, through grace, it's by grace through faith. Do you believe God this morning? Do you take God at His word? And so let us examine ourselves. Hey, I may say I love Christ, but man, is my heart far from Him? Do I not desire the same things Christ has, that Christ has for me? Do I not desire the things that God wants? One of the things we've been learning this past week, uh, Pastor Mark's been observing the Olympians and the Gophers the past couple weeks, and so I've been covering the Wednesday night messages uh, teaching out there, and Word of Life has us in uh, this study on Jesus. And this past week we were looking at uh, Jesus. He is the mediator. 
By the way, there's only one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's only one person, guys, that can bridge the gap. And it's not you and your good works. It's not Pastor Jeremy to somehow absolve your, your sins when you confess them. That's not my role. That's not my place. There's only one who can do that, and his name's Jesus Christ. Paul is writing here because there was this group of Judaizers in the context in which he's writing to this church at Philippi. His theme is like, guys, we need to rejoice. You need to have joy in your salvation. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Rejoice in Him. But hey, let me just tell you though, you need to be careful because there are some out there who want to pervert your understanding. They're wanting to lead people astray. And they do this oftentimes by religious trappings. It sounds good, but Paul is going to expose them here and he says it loud and clear, beware of the dogs. Now we talked about that. He's very intentional with his language here. He's calling out these Judaizers. He says, beware of these evil workers, these religious and not righteous people. And then he says, as if you were missing the message, he drives it home and says, beware of the mutilation. Again, because what was the real point that oftentimes these guys would argue? Oh, well, if you're not of the circumcision, then you're not truly God's children. And so you must do in order to be as opposed to be because it's done. We don't do, guys. It's done. Doing is of the law. Done is by grace. And I'm so thankful (laughs) that I don't have to do because my doing ain't very good. But resting in what's done? That is a reason to rejoice, isn't it? That's reason to rejoice. Hey, you fall short. Guess what? So do I. Praise God for His grace. Now, that doesn't mean we stay where we are. That doesn't mean we should not be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and learning to move from crawling to walking. God calls us to maturity in Christ, to be complete. And that's why he is writing these things. So we saw the three contrasts that that Paul laid out here. And what is he contrasting it against? Well, again, um, he was talking about the difference between the, the clear distinction between the false and the true circumcised. The difference between the religious and the righteous. Dr. Carver did a good job this morning. If you haven't made Sunday school, come to the Sunday school. I'm telling you, man, this is, you, you're going to want to hear this stuff. And he made a clear, uh, it, it was good this morning. Again, he said there's two types of people in the world today. Okay, and it's not Republican, Democrat, if you were wondering. All right? It's the lost and the saved. It's the believer and the unbeliever. That's the two classes of people. When God looks at mankind, He sees them in two ways. The elect, the believer, and the non-believer, the loss. Paul's making a clear distinction here in his writing to the church in, in a similar argument. The lost man who thinks he's right with God because of his religiosity. Well, hey, I go to church. Hey, I... I, I you know, I dress a certain way. I carry a certain translation. I mean, I, you know, whatever, whatever the religiosity you're hiding behind. Well, my dad was a preacher. Well, my grandpa. You know, what, I don't know what you're hiding behind, guys, but let me just tell you, you cannot hide behind the glare of a holy God. He sees us for who we are, and He knows us in our frailty, and yet still He loves us. And He demonstrated that love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. Every one of your sins and every one of my sins was still future tense when Christ hung on that cross. Every single one of them. That's why I know it's paid in full. That's why I know that my sin can't separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing will pluck me from His hands because every single one of my sins was still future tense. Humanly speaking, in the eyes of Christ on the cross when we look at a timeline. Now we know Christ is eternal. He returned to the glory He had with the Father before time began. Yet, He's always a very present help in time of need. 
Yesterday, today, and tomorrow is still very present in the I am's eyesight. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Chew on that a little while. I think it will. Paul's making a clear distinction between the false and the true circumcised. And so he makes this statement. Don't miss this. Underline this. Highlight this. Think about this. He says, we are the circumcision. He's writing this to the church. These religious Jews, these Judaizers are trying to get you to go back into bondage. You've been set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't need to do anything. He says, we're the circumcision. And so, he again continues the contrast. Notice, he gave us three things to be aware of when it comes to the Judaizers, the religious. Then he gives three things in contrast for the righteous. So again, the comparative between the lost man and the saved man. Notice what the three things are. The saved man is those who worship God in spirit. The saved man is those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. Are you rejoicing this morning? Again, I say rejoice. Guys, our circumstances cannot steal the joy of the Lord. Now, sin can steal the joy of the Lord. And therefore, confession needs to be made so that our joy will return. You guys understand this, right? I mean, hey, if I don't bathe for a while, I'm going to stink. And people around me are probably going to notice. Don't look at your neighbor on that one, all right? (laughs) But if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just, and He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Guys, look, sometimes we need to get a shower, right? Sometimes we need to bathe, spiritually speaking, by confession. We need to take that 1 John 1-9 bar soap and apply it. And if you're here this morning and you've lost the joy of the Lord, can I say, let's start there. God, help me. Shine a light in me. Is there a sin in my heart? Is there there a seed of bitterness that maybe has grabbed hold of my heart and is springing up and therefore defiling many? Satan is, is, is a crafty serpent. He loves to breed division. He loves to bring about things that are going to trip you in your race. He loves to set before us stumbling blocks. Guys, I beg us all, as we inspect our own hearts and lives, Lord, if there be anything within me, please let me lay it at the cross. Cleanse me. Renew within me a steadfast spirit. Delight yourself in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That is our strength, church. And so the joy of the Lord should be prevalent in your life. Do people want to be around you? (laughs) Are you a repellent for Jesus? (laughs) You know? (laughs) I hope not. I hope people see the love of Christ. I hope they see within you that which shines forth the glory of God. Christ Jesus in you. And so in contrast, he says, look, these religious were a certain way. The righteous are another. They worship God in spirit. They rejoice in Christ Jesus. And they have no confidence in the flesh. If you see any good in this pastor, it's not this pastor. It's Christ in me. Guys, this is, this is Paul's words. This is our outward call. We must be reminded, again, there is nothing in this flesh apart from Christ. And so the more I yield, the more you yield in our walk to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we allow Him to reign and rule in our life, the more we allow Him to be Lord of our life and we willingly submit in obedient faith to what He has said, the brighter His light will shine in us and through us. And so our prayer, as we read through this, Paul's prayer, and we'll see it even more, is that in our sanctification, that he who's begun a good work will complete it until the day of redemption. So are you work under progress? Yeah. Are you construction? Yeah, I'm under construction, brother. Sister, you got to believe it. 
Let him have his way. So we see the contrast. We talked about the circumcision of the heart. This again, it's not about the letter of the law. Paul's calling out these, these heretics. He's calling out these Judaizers. He's calling out these legalists who, who again want to have you live by the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. And so again, he reminds me, this isn't anything new. We looked at these passages of the Old Testament where God's intention was that the heart be circumcised. It's not about the flesh. It's about the heart of man. So again, it's not about your religious trappings. It's not about going to church. It's not about your religiosity. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what he's reminding uh, the reader at the church in Philippi. Colossians 2.11, In Him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. See, Christ did the work. It's not man's hands who did this work by the very hands of God. When Christ said it's finished, it is finished. And even Siri says amen to that. <laughs> we find in Romans 2, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Question. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code, he's speaking to the Judaizers, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who's one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Again, this is, guys, this is the common theme throughout Scripture. It's not about the external trappings. This ring does not make me married. Last night, the bride and groom, good-looking couple, said their vows and I do's. But the exchanging of the rings is not what bound their hearts together. That's simply an outward symbol. If you've been baptized up here in, this, uh, up here in the baptistry, praise God. But that didn't save you. Again, this is why we take such offense, and rightfully so, from those who claim the name of Christianity but say, you must be saved by water baptism. That's a work. Guys, that's, that's a false gospel. The Apostle Paul says, if anyone teaches another gospel, let them be accursed. It's the same thing the Judaizers were doing. And yet, we kind of want to tiptoe around these people because there's a big number of them out there that name the name of Christ. And hey, they're, they're good, sincere people. Guess who were the good and sincere people of Paul's day? The Judaizers. And you knew these guys were righteous people because they walked around with these flashy robes. They had these little boxes that were hanging from their their sleeves, they even had these big ones that would go up here on their forehead and they'd use these big strapping belt, leather belt-like things to hold, hold it to their forehead because they wanted you to see when they came out. We keep the law because inside would be these you know, little scriptures and, and so forth. And guess where they got that from? Deuteronomy 6. The Shema, whenever you rise up in the morning, you need to teach your kids whenever they go out into the marketplaces, wherever they go, when they come home at night, when they lay their head down, you need to be having the Scriptures forever in your frontlets. In other words, set them before you. Well, they took that one literal. Hey, if I put the Scriptures in my frontlets, that's my frontlet, I'll be able to see it. But yet we do the same thing. Wooden literal. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, guys. We read it and it's plain and it's main and it makes sense, but then we're going to mess it up. And the Jews were no different. They had turned this into religion. They were looking at the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. What was the spirit of the law? What was the heart of that? What was God saying in Deuteronomy 6? He said, look, dads, chosen people, set apart from the world, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. When you, you want to continue being God's people, then you need to raise up your children with these truths. They need to understand who I am. Teach them who I am. Teach them there's a Messiah coming. Teach them that I'm going to one day provide a sacrifice on their behalf that will not just cover their sin, but one day will remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. You see, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was imputed to his... He got a stimulus check and it was from God. Woo! I about got Baptist on that one. It was deposited into the, his account. It counted for his credit. Not because of anything Abraham did. He was taking a nap when God was doing all the work. Some of y'all get that. You go back and read Genesis 12, 15. Go look at some of them passages. See what's happening. God's concerned with the heart of man. And so we see the confidence, and this is where we are today. And Paul's going to say, okay, all right, you Judaizers, you want to play the games? We'll play the games. Play stupid game, win stupid prizes. Isn't that what they say? Well, these Judaizers are getting ready to get some stupid prizes right here in their face. So here's what Paul says. He gives us seven things. You take a note, you may want to write these down, but they're here in the text. He says, look, he said, uh, <clears throat> okay, you guys want to have confidence in the flesh? Well, I also might have confidence in the flesh if I played by your rules. He says in verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Again, what is he saying? Paul's saying, look, all right, okay. You, you want to you go down that road? Let's go down that road. He says, I was circumcised in, on the eighth day. Because again, this was custom. This was what was handed down. This became the practice of the Jews. The baby on the eighth day, every male child would be circumcised. Paul says, been there, done that. Circumcised the eighth day. I followed that prescribed day. Check that box. He says, I'm also of Israel. Now, what he means by this, he is a direct descendant. He could trace his lineage all the way back to Isaac, Jacob. He could, he could trace his lineage back. He, again, because listen, the lineage was a big thing in those days. I mean, that was everything, Right? I mean, can you imagine him calling, you know, calling them out on that one? And again, this is a fleshly game. He's just kind of uh, uh, temporarily uh, uh, appeasing them. You, you think, Mr. Judaizer, you, you, you think you, you can do this? Well, let me just tell you, I can, I, can, I can trace mine all the way back. Where can you go? Who's your daddy? <laughs> anyway. He says, I'm also of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what about this tribe of Benjamin? Again, this was one of the elite and loyal of the 12 tribes of Judah. Again, if we go back and read our Old Testament, we understand when the kingdom was divided, a northern and southern kingdom, the Benjamites, they were the ones that were just there in the Jerusalem area. By the way, they were the predominant tribe there in that area. And that was the section that remained loyal to King David. The, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin were the two tribes that remained loyal to David in the division. So hey, there's some bragging points, right? If we're going to brag in the flesh, right? He said, I'm also Hebrew of the Hebrews. This means he was born to Hebrew parents. Now, yes, he was born in a pagan city. Because remember, you'll see him use this argument. By the way, he, he, he shows his ID, his photo ID in two different arguments. There's one time where the, uh, uh, the, the crowd is just, man, they're ready to kill this guy, right? And you know how Paul, because these Judaizers, these Jewish people, they want to kill him. And what does Paul begin to do? He begins to make his appeal and reasoning to them in their own tongue, the Hebrew tongue. And they're like, oh, snap. How does this guy know our language? I thought he was a pagan. There's another time where he makes an appeal and he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. 
he uses his ID card in that argument to appeal to them, and they're like, oh, snap, because these pagans were wanting to, you know, kill this man. And he says, hey, guess what you just did? You just beat a Roman citizen. Oh, snap, we're in trouble. Paul said, I become all things to all people. I might win them to Christ. He was smart. He was wise as a serpent, kind as a dove. But you didn't mess with Paul in this. This is God's man raised up. And, and he says, look, I'm a Hebrew. If you, but again, if we're going to get fleshly, you want to argue, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. My dad was a Hebrew, and we know his grandpa was a Hebrew. And, and how far back that? Again, he's got his lineage. I've got to think we keep going, right? But he was real clear. I'm not a proselyte. I didn't somehow get, you know... Signed up for this. I was born in this, if we're going to play your game. So if you're going to have confidence in the flesh, even more so me. Paul continues. He says this. He said, I'm a Pharisee. Now again, the Pharisee was the most legalistic of all the religious leaders. They were the ones, I mean, this is the big F fundamentalist of their day. All right? These guys, you talk about knowing the Word, they knew the Word. Now, they wielded the sword wrong. Paul says, though, I was a Pharisee. He studied under the greatest of all teachers of the day, Emilio. He was the, I mean, he was the, the most brilliant of the day. I mean, you were somebody if you studied under this guy. Paul said, I did. Can, I can just imagine, uh, who did you study under? What? Oh, okay. I was going to make a joke there, but uh, many of us, like myself, went to some community college. But anyway, this guy went to like the elite of elite. And we know they like to throw that around too, but they, we just know they spent more money. We were smart. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I've done them all, by the way. So. Paul says, look, I was a Pharisee. When it comes to zeal, because guys, this was one of the marks of the religious Zealous. You know, we've seen it. We've got modern-day Pharisees, right? I mean, you know, hey, brother. Hey, man, I could get myself in trouble on this. I better stop. All right, I won't go there. Thank you, Lord. But we know the kind, right? We know the kind. They love to wear their frontlets. They love to sound the trumpets of what, look what I did. Look what we're doing. Aren't we super spiritual? Paul says, look, I was zealous. I was so zealous, it was to the point of persecuting the church. Again, this was if you were a good religious man of the day, your virtue was so pure that you loved and hated. That's when you had arrived, right? You could, you, well, we love this, but we hate that. He loved the tradition and the teachings that had been handed down through the tradition of men, which by the way, all these extra man-made laws had been added to God's laws. Okay? This is part of the problem. Because they were misinterpreting the Scripture, they were missing the spirit of the Word and applying the letter of the law and making so many other laws and regulations. By the way, do you know that's why we keep adding more and more laws on the books? Because in man's understanding, the way we curb behavior is to add more laws. And we don't keep any of them because we're lawbreakers. See, that's the point they didn't get. That's the point man doesn't get today. We're all in the same boat, guys. We're lawbreakers. By the way, James says if you, if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking all the law. So if you thought you were doing good, guess what? <laughs> you're not, you lawbreakers. Why do you think we need a Savior? We're drowning in our own sin. And we can't swim. And unless somebody throws us a life preserver, we're dead in the water. But God, who's rich in mercy. Oh my goodness. Guys, when we get this, when we get that, that we could do nothing but drown. But God, who is rich in mercy. He tossed that life preserver. His name's Jesus Christ.
By faith, do you believe that? By faith, will you receive that? Paul began to kill Christians. I believe he's the one holding the garments when Stephen, one of the first deacons there in the church, got stoned to death. He had papers. He was on his road to Damascus. He was on his way to kill Christians because he was so zealous. He honestly thought he was doing God's work. Hmm. He said when it comes to the law, righteousness is in the law. If you're you're going to let that be your litmus litmus test, guess what? Paul says, I'm blameless. Now, he's not saying he's perfect. He's not saying he's kept it in the sense that he is just, you know, God's gift to man. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you want to look on the outside, you're not going to see me not keeping the regulations. On the outside, he's doing well by the standard. You can't accuse him in these things. Well, he's not doing this, he's not doing this, he's supposed to be a religious leader. He's not. He says, I'm blameless. He kept those outward rituals, but here's what you didn't see that Paul is confessing here. He had a proud and sinful heart. He was self-righteous. But on the external, through conformism, he was without fault. You see, this is the deadliest and dangerous of all sins, the pride of man. This is what's got Satan in trouble, right? And so Paul, again, when it comes to... By the way, you know, this, this is the danger for us as parents in teaching our children. Sometimes we, if we're not careful, and this is what we see in our church. And by the way, I, I want to take a second here because I think we need to take probably more than a second here. Sometimes what this does, guys, right here Sunday morning, is teaches you conformism. What we do here sometimes in the local gathering, if we're not careful, becomes behaviorism. Now, what do I mean by this? Conformism means there's an external, right? And I'm going to conform to the external regulation rules and expectations. So if I'm supposed to look a certain way, act a certain way, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, right? then that's what I'm going to do. That's conforming. It's like cookie-cutter Christianity. And we all know, and some of us have come out of some of those backgrounds, right? Where you got to look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, carry a certain translation, wear a dress, not the men, even today, right? Um, you know. <laughs> Guys, gotta, you got a better dress in your suits. You know, whatever. I mean, we get these standards. And look, everybody's got standards. I'm not against standards. But what ends up happening is we teach conformism or behaviorism, right? You're expected to behave a certain way. You're supposed to behave a certain way, Varner kids, because you're preacher's kids. Act. Stugelmeyer girls, you're supposed, to act, you're supposed to act a certain way because you're a pastor's kid. That's behaviorism. You're supposed to live a certain way because you're a born-again believer. Amen? There's a difference between that external and that internal. And so we want to shepherd the heart. Church, I want to shepherd your heart. I don't want you to look good on the outside. And we got a lot of people show up to church looking good on the outside. And man, their lips might be close to the praise and worship, but their heart is long ways away to be found. And I don't know what's in your heart, but God does. And so I'm begging you this morning, if your heart is far from God, draw near. He says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you will, again, distance yourself... Satan will flee from you if you will draw near to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. So I don't know what sins are tripping you up in your personal life that you know that goes on in your family behind closed doors, that goes on in your own heart's recess, but God does and you do. Come to Christ on that front. Come to that point of surrender. Walk to that altar. 
in your heart and lay it down. You see, this is what Paul did. Paul got to a point where he realized, he said, wait a minute, I've been conforming, I've been behaving, and I've been doing it well in the flesh, but my heart has been proud and self-righteous. And how do I know this? Because again, there's a point in Romans where he says, you know what? Not that the law is bad. He says, had it not been for the law, I wouldn't have known coveting was wrong. Guess what you just got a glimpse of? Paul's heart. Paul had a problem with coveting. Maybe studying under Gamal, he said, you know, I'd like to ascribe to that position. Maybe I'll need to be more like... I don't know, but I know he struggled with coveting. It's in the Scripture. By the way, you want to see something pretty awesome? This passage of Philippians 3 is a coupled passage with the Acts 9. Do you know what Acts 9 is? Acts 9 is the road to Damascus. This is when Paul was awakened from darkness to light. This is when he crossed from death to life. Remember, he meets the Lord. He's persecuting the church. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking against the goads, man? You need to stop this. How do I know this is a parallel, a coupling passage? Because again, we see the heart of Paul in this. He's calling out what he once did. And he's showing us that he was struggling on the inside with these things. Outwardly, he looked good, but on the inside, he was not a righteous man. And he, again, we continue reading to find this out. Notice what he says. He's given them all this justification. And then he comes to this conclusion. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul begins to use some counting terms here. We're going to look at the counting here in this conclusion. You notice what he says there in verses 7 and 9. Look again in the text, verses 7 and 9. These things were gain. Gain is a term used in accounting. By the way, we'll look at the counting, we'll look at the conforming, but let's get to this point of the, the, uh, the counting. Gain is an accounting term, and then he uses the word loss. That's an accounting term. It's like if you had a ledger, some of you were bookkeepers, right? And in one column you got gain, and in one column you got loss, right? Paul says, look, I've counted this in my flesh. I used to count this as gain. I used to think this was benefit. Doing all these religious things was somehow earning me points. My, my account was positive, right? My account was positive. But now he's come to understand that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And when he came to know Christ, and by the way, we'll look at this term next week, Paul realized, that's loss. I mean, that's a negative. If you're going to try and keep the law, if you're going to try and be self-righteous, if you're going to try and behave your way to heaven, that's a loss. Because, oh, that's going to get you eternal separation from God. If you're going to try and get there by your own deeds and your own merit, that's going to be loss. No, what I need is gain. I need gain. And he says, I count Christ as gain. Where have we heard this teaching before? Real quick. Let's go over here to Matthew. 
By the way, y'all want to know where I, uh, I get my closing points, multiple closings? It, it's, it's right there in Philippians 3 where he said, finally, you know, that's, that's, that's a preacher's way of wrapping it up. Well, well Paul ain't done in chapter 3, we know. <laughs> There's more chapters to come, right? So finally, so guys, I'm wrapping it up. Finally, so here we go. He was, he, you know, he was a good preacher. Let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And let's look in verse... 24, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Simply put, if you want to hold on to your life, In the end, you're going to lose your soul. But if you're willing to give up your soul to Christ, in that, there is great gain. Churches, it's high time we awake to the Spirit of God. Christ desires our life. And we talk about this often, that exchanged life. And that's what's supposed to happen at the cross of Calvary. I come to Christ in my sinfulness. And I recognize there is nothing I can do apart from His grace. And I'm willing to lose my life to Him in exchange for His righteousness. And that's imputed into my account. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything He's done for me. And by faith, not by pride, but by humility, I accept, I receive that gift on my behalf. Payment in full. That's the exchange life. I have to be willing to lose my life, to gain my life. But the world says, no, nah, man, get what you can get and go after it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Okay, so you get everything you want. Paul got everything he wanted, religiously speaking, that he thought would earn him his way to heaven. And he realizes it's dung. It's C-R-A-P for you can spell, all right? <laughs> it's, it's no good. It's a diaper gene. He's been sitting in the nursery for a week. Miss Melissa knows what that smells like. Whew. Because, you know. This is what Paul's saying. I count it all rubbish. Guys, if you're laboring for what this world has to better your life, you will lose your life in the end. We need to lose our life now for the cause of Christ. And in so doing, we gain Christ. Remember how Paul started Philippians? To live is Christ. But to die is gain. Our gain will come when we stand before Him one day in glory. Because then we'll see Him and know Him as He is. He will be. He will be our everything. Shouldn't He be our everything now? Lord, help us to take up our cross and follow You. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You for dying for us who 
we're unworthy. Lord, we're men. We're men and women who And yet, Lord, Your grace is sufficient. Lord, we look at the world around us and we often think, if only this could change or this circumstance be lifted or that problem could go away, how much better life would be. Lord, that's a facade. If we take You at Your Word and we recognize what You have said, this world's not our home. We're we're pilgrims. We're passing through. And so, Lord, don't let us store up treasures here, but let us store up treasures in heaven. Let us do the work we were created in Christ Jesus to do. Let us be your workmanship. And so, Lord, will you teach us daily to die to self? Lord, will you help us set aside our wants, our desires, for what you would have us do? Not my will be done, God. Thy will be done. So Lord, help us to apply, as Paul's been telling us in Philippians, as we'll continue to see, the importance of our unity as a family of God. The importance of our joy that will be our strength in you. And so Lord, regardless of the circumstances, help us to continue to rejoice in Christ because of who He is and because of what He's done. What great gain that is. What, what credit to our account that is. To know that our righteousness is not found in our doings, but what is done. And so, Lord, if there be any here today that's never by faith received Christ's payment in full on their behalf, Lord, may they see your grace. May the glorious light of the gospel penetrate their heart. That they be awakened to know you to be known by you, that you might live through them. And so, Lord, forgive us our frailty. Forgive us our failings. May they not be excuses to stay in the mud. But, Lord, by your grace and your strength in our weakness, may it be made perfect for your name's sake. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Guys, thank y'all. Daniel, good having you back playing the piano this morning. Appreciate that very much. Uh, guys, have a, a, a blessed week this week. Again, remember whose you are. You're bought with a price. Let's go out and glorify God. Let's rejoice uh, in, in the salvation that we have. And may folks see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You're dismissed. Have a blessed